You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 49. I was just so tired. That was the the overwhelming feeling. It felt so unreal that there was this thing that was inside of me and then she was outside of me. I remember how I felt in the days following, starting to develop kind of my feelings for Juniper. But in the first few hours, all I could think about was how tired I was. I was proud of myself and I was proud of Juniper. One of the things I had written down for Brendan to say to me, like during labor, was like, Juniper's working hard too. You're working really hard and she's working hard too. So like, think of it as a team effort. That's because I've always really liked team sports. So thinking of it kind of like a team sport, give me more more motivation, more drive, more energy to see everything through. Hey there, and welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves-Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. If you have a positive birth story or interesting fertility journey story you'd like to share, please pitch it to us by emailing podcast at birthmattersnyc.com. In today's birth story, Kirtan shares the details of her firstborn's birth almost two years after her daughter was born and following a cross-country move closer to family in California. She has an unusually quick six-hour unmedicated labor and arrives at the hospital just in time to push, similarly to Simone a couple of episodes ago in episode 47. She'll detail how her placenta had trouble coming out and had to be manually removed and how utterly exhausted she felt in the hours following. Kirtan will then share quite a bit about her struggles with breastfeeding, including experiencing a painful letdown as well as anxiety she experienced surrounding not only breastfeeding, but also in introducing solids. As a bonus, you'll hear about an intentional ritual her husband, Brendan, initiated for both parents to get good chunks of sleep in the early weeks, one that supported healthy nursing rhythms. Second bonus, an entertaining story on Kirtan pumping on a subway home from work. Now let's go ahead and jump in. Welcome to the Birth Matters Podcast. Today I have a former student of mine, Kirtan. Welcome, Kirtan. Hi, thank you. So glad to have you here. You're going to share some uh, details about your birth story and your breastfeeding story of your firstborn today, right? Juniper is her name. That's right. Juniper, born almost two years ago. So fun, a fun way to mark the occasion. Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about it a lot recently, just trying to see what I can remember and what has faded away. And it's, it's kind of surprising, actually, because we assume that, like, oh, okay, obviously the pain, the memory of the pain must, like, fade away, because otherwise, how do you do it again? And I did have an unmedicated birth, but really, I still remember quite clearly what, like, the contractions felt like and all of that. That's um, interesting, because a lot of people... <laughs> like even right after birth can't really describe because we're not really in our headspace. So that's really interesting to hear. Yeah. 
I remember being completely focused and not being able to think of anything else. Once the contractions got pretty strong, my husband and my mom were trying to rush me out the door to get to the hospital because they sped up so quickly. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, let me just stop right now because I'm having a contraction. Okay, I can walk like another few steps and then I got to stop again. And they're like, no, you got to (laughs) hurry. You got to get in the car. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, but I can remember that. But it doesn't, of course, feel like a traumatic or painful memory now. It's just, it's still pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I had a very quick birth for a mm-hmm. first child. I'm a preparer. So we prepared a lot. And in order to prepare, we took three different birth classes. I don't think I even knew that until just recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about know. those. I didn't know that people just didn't take as many classes as possible. And so we took your class, obviously. That was the last one that we took and that the most involved. And that was the one that I was most interested in taking. But we also took a three-session class with the hospital, which was at Mount Sinai East. Mm-hmm. And... I wanted to take that class because I wanted to get familiarized with the hospital and because I I like to go and feel a space before I'm going to go and give birth there. Mm -hmm. And so we took that class and it was run by a woman who was a doula for many years. And it went over a lot of the same things that your class did, but in a more kind of textbook clinical kind of way. There was a lot less time for discussion about specific techniques that would be good for each individual to use. Then we also took a one-session class by the nursing staff on the maternity floor of that hospital, and they did it off-site. I don't remember what their class was called. And that was also birth-related? It was very specific about, okay, you come and this is what happens from the staff point of view. Like, we do this because of this. We take you here first, then we do this. And the reason why we do that is because of these things. And so I wanted to know what the staff was thinking. Mm -hmm. And it was a very useful class because it wasn't about... It really wasn't about the parents (laughs) at all. It was more like, this is what's going to happen. And these are the things that people are going to say to you. And so you can know what these things mean ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So I found that very helpful. And then we also took an infant CPR first aid class. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, are you glad you did that while you were pregnant or did you wish you did it on the other side of birth? Because some people prefer one and some people prefer the other. What do you think? I'm glad we did it before because I don't think there was any room in my head after giving birth for for about six months. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yep. I hear that. <laughs> my memory was terrible. Not that it was great right before giving birth, but I was at least getting some sleep. Though I remember Juniper in the last month, she had the hiccups like six times a day. And so every time I would lay down to like try to sleep, I'd feel her hiccuping. And it drove me nuts. I had the same experience. Yeah. Yeah. Those hiccups are 
funny and annoying sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you happen yeah. to remember who you took your infant CPR class with? It's okay if you don't. I know it's been a couple of years. I could find that information pretty quickly, but it was with one specific guy, but I'd have to find the information. Okay. Well, maybe if it's easily accessible, you can email it to me and I'll include it with the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty easy. And he sends out monthly email reminders that review all of the CPR and first aid steps. That's nice. So if you just open your email and read it, then you have a little review rather than having to like go back to your notes and read them. Which who's going to do, right? I mean, I wouldn't remember to do that until I was in an emergency and then it's kind of too late. And you guys did a cross-country move. Was it, do I have it right? It was soon after she turned one? Yeah. She was like 15 months or something. And we moved back home to California from New York. Mm-hmm. So sunny and warm. <laughs> yeah. Now she's a California girl. <laughs> she's like forgotten the snow totally. <laughs> so we took all those classes because I like to prepare. And I had this notebook which is actually pretty impressive. I think it's in storage right now. But it had every single prenatal appointment that I had in there, plus notes, who the doctor was that I took the appointment with. I had all the class dates. I had all sorts of like lists of these are activities that I'm going to do when I'm in the early stages of labor. And <laughs> Like, these are the snacks that I want to have. This is how I'm going to pack my bag for the hospital. These are the things that are going to be in it. These are the things that I want Brendan, my husband, to say to me while I'm in labor and, like, at different points. And these are the techniques that I want him to do to, you know, like, try to massage my back or something or do these sorts of things that we tried in class. And this is something that we liked and this is something that we didn't like. And so I had list after list, and I had gone over it with him several times, being like, okay, so this is where you find this information, because I'm not going to be able to tell you at the time. Like, you can turn to this page, and I had like a sticky note there and stuff. And of course, my labor was so fast, we didn't get to do any of that. Sure. But better to be prepared, because you could have had the 40-hour, <laughs> you know, multi-day labor. You never yeah. know what you're signing up for. <laughs> Right. So I'm, I am like a little disappointed <laughs> that we didn't get to do any of the things I prepared. But of course, I, I don't actually wish that I had had a really long labor. Yeah. Although I'm worried about possibly having an even faster one if we go for a second child. So. That's possible, but it's also possible you have a longer one. You never know. So maybe you'll get to use the things in the future that you right. prepared. <laughs> Although my mom told me that her labors got faster and faster. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. So I had my first contractions probably around like 4.15 in the afternoon. And, and how many weeks were you? I was three days over the due date. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had been sick like for the week and a half before my due date. I had just kind of like an upper respiratory thing. And I was coughing and coughing and I just like couldn't stop coughing and I felt horrible. But then I really, really wanted to not be pregnant anymore. 
and I was huge and she was hanging so low. And so anytime I felt remotely okay, I would go on a really long walk. And I remember, I think the day before my contractions started, I walked like five miles. And then the next day I just spent the entire day on the couch because I was exhausted. I kept telling my mom, because she was visiting specifically to be there at my daughter's birth, I kept telling her, like, okay, I am sick, and I am pregnant, and by the end of this week, I will not be one of these things. (laughs) I just couldn't stand it anymore. And so as soon as I started feeling a little bit better, that's when Juniper decided to, to come. I wasn't over it yet. I was still sick afterwards, but I was feeling a little bit better, had a little more energy. And so I think she's like, okay, let's go. And I started feeling contractions around 415 and I wasn't entirely sure. At first I thought my water had broken because I did feel kind of like a little gush. And I thought, oh, did I pee my pants? But, you know, I checked it, like smelled my underwear and everything. Like, no, I don't think it's pee. So I called my doctor and she's like, oh, okay, well, I I don't think your water broke because that's a little bit different. Um, Like there would be more than just kind of like a few tablespoons of something all at once. But like, why don't you try lying down for maybe like a half hour and then call me to see what changes. And so I laid down for a half hour and then my contractions like definitely started. And do you remember how they were feeling physically to you? Where were you feeling things? They were really irregular. I remember that. And for me, I think she was so low. My contractions felt very low, like almost all the way down in my pelvis. But I remember it was not, was not in my back. It was just kind of like along the side of my belly and down to my pelvis. And that's where I felt it. And then I'm like, okay, I know what to do. I've prepared. Like, I'm going to make myself a sandwich. So I go and I make myself a big sandwich. I'm like, I need to eat and have energy because when I go to the hospital, they're not going to let me eat. And so I made myself a sandwich and I ate that. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom because I really don't want to poop while I'm giving birth. And so I went to the bathroom and I was like, yes, okay, I got it out of the way. <laughs> like, now I'm not going to poop while I'm giving birth. So then I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a shower. And while I'm getting ready to take a shower, then my water really does break. And it's a bloody show and everything. So I'm like, oh, that's what it's like. Did I miss, is Brendan home at this point? Yes, Brendan is home. My mom is at her Airbnb nearby. And she, like, we told her, just stay there because we're going to do all like this early labor stuff here. We've got our plan, but we'll call you and we're going to get ready to go to the hospital. So you can come on over and we can go over together. It's like, okay. But then my water broke, and so Brendan calls my mom, and she comes over. And I'm like, okay, well, I still have time. I'm going to get in the shower. So I get in the shower, and that's when my contractions really start to speed up. 
that water breaking can really speed things up sometimes. Yeah, I mean, so with a first pregnancy, not always, but especially mm-hmm. if it was a big gush, I imagine you started feeling things a lot more strongly. Is that true? Yes, that's right. It definitely started feeling things a lot stronger. And Brendan says like, okay, we need to come up with a sign, like a signal that you can tell me when your contractions start so that I can time it. And he's got like the app on his phone, so he's timing it. And he's like, you got to like whistle or something, but I can't whistle. (laughs) And so I just started saying the word whistle whenever my contractions would start. I just go whistle (laughs) and he would start, he'd start the timer. And so they're getting faster and faster, but I'm in the shower and I realize like, okay, this is actually getting pretty difficult for me to move. And so my mom comes over and she's like, you've got to get to the hospital now. Like they're, they're really speeding up. You've got to get to the hospital. We're going to call an Uber. Did she tell you how long her first labor was? I'm just curious. I don't remember how long her first one was. I think that, so I'm her second child. There are three of us, three girls. Mm -hmm. And I think her labor with me was a similar time as mine with Juniper. Interesting. But I do remember her telling me that when she had my younger sister, like the midwife barely got there in time. And she had my sister at home with a midwife. And I remember this because I was four years old. So I actually remember being at home, which is in this house, actually, (laughs) parents' house right now. Uh So in this house, in the bedroom over there, my sister was born. And I know that was faster. I don't know how long, though. Yeah. And so we're, I'm trying to get dressed. And Brendan and my mom, they're, like, just trying to, like, get me wearing something so I can get in the car. And it's, it's pretty cold. It was March 6th and there was actually a snowstorm that day, but luckily it started a a little bit later. So we were able to get to the hospital in, you know, like 20 minutes. It wasn't very far. So the guy comes in the, in the Lyft or Uber or whatever. And luckily it's one of those kind of bigger, like a big SUV with the two captain's chairs in the middle. And so I'm sitting in one of those captain's chairs, but like on my knees, facing the back of the chair, holding the headrest because I could not stand to be sitting down. And I'm pretty sure at this point, I'm like approaching transition. And so this guy, this driver, he was, he was really cool, really good, because he could have freaked out. You know, there's a woman quite far along in labor in the back of his car, unmedicated. Like, I'm moaning, like, oh. (laughs) And every once in a while, I'll just, like, whisper to Brendan, whistle, (laughs) and just start moaning and moaning. 
Sometimes I wonder if these cabbie, if, if in their training, if part of the training is staying <laughs> calm, because more often, almost so. always, I hear that they're very cool and calm. And even they're like, God bless, having a baby is a blessing kind of thing. <laughs> and I'm so thankful that that's the case because people are pretty concerned going into it, you know, that they're oh. going to freak out. <laughs> no. You don't want them to like be like, oh no, and just drive away. <laughs> yeah. So you were finding vocalization helpful. Yeah. Yeah. At home too, before you got into the cab or did it start in the cab? No, at home too, but it, it definitely ramped up in the cab. And I was trying to, I remember I was trying to breathe and keep my voice like as low as possible, mm-hmm. which got pretty hard. so we got to the hospital and the first thing is they're supposed to take you to triage we didn't make it to triage we were in the hallway and I remember I was standing leaning against the wall and there was a row of chairs like four or five chairs with women and their partners sitting in them, you know, who are, they looked like they were there for, you know, scheduled C-sections or like to get induced. Like they're just sitting there calmly, but obviously they're about to give birth. But here I am leaning against the wall, moaning. And I say moaning, but Brendan says by this point I was screaming. So I don't remember that, but... (laughs) I'm there for maybe 15 minutes, and at some point I turn to my mom and I say, why am I still here? And she goes, I don't know. And she runs off and she gets somebody, and she's like, you need to put her in a delivery room now, or she's going to have a baby in the hallway. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. So they do. They, they get me into a, a delivery room, and that was great. And at this point, I all these thoughts like, oh, maybe I don't want to be on my back. Maybe I want to be on my side. Maybe I want to be on my knees. But really, when it came down to it, I just wanted to be in one position and not move. So I didn't care what that position was. I just wanted to not move. Sure. Uh, And so they get me into the bed and they put that like, I don't know, it's like elastic band Mm-hmm. Around the monitor to put on the monitor to, to like get the baby's heartbeat and they could not find her heartbeat they're just like going around and around moving and moving and moving and like they cannot find her heartbeat my husband's starting to kind of freak out and they're doing this for quite a while and while they're poking me trying to find her heartbeat this guy comes up he needs me to sign a form and i'm just completely out of it and so in between contractions, he's like trying to hand me this clipboard with a piece of paper that I have to sign and a pen. And I just kind of flop my hand around in the air. And he's like holding out this pen that he wants me to then like grab, reach for and grab. But I'm like, no, no, no. Put it in my fingers. So, <laughs> that was your gesture. To put it in like, your hand. <laughs> put it in my hand. So he puts the pen in my hand. And I said, put the paper to the pen. And he puts the paper right there. And I just kind of scribble something. (laughs) Go away now. (laughs) (laughs) 
And at this point, had they done an internal exam to see how dilated you were? No. So I've been walking Sounded like it. <laughs> the last two weeks at four centimeters. So, Which often means you might have a faster labor because you've yeah. already dilated close to active labor. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't always mean that though. They might not necessarily tell you that because they don't want to get your expectations in a certain direction, you know, and you were what, 80% <laughs> effaced as well? Yes, that's right. And then maybe a week before I had my membrane sweeped, swept. Huh? Mm-hmm. So yeah, we had all that already taken care of. And so I was pretty far along, I think, just before I even started. And so, of course, my doctor is like on the way. And I was, I had been going to an OBGYN practice that I really loved called Uptown OBGYN. And there are three female doctors who have all given birth. And you meet with all of them throughout your pregnancy. And then one of them, whoever's on call, will be who delivers. And so Lisa, the doctor who ended up delivering, she, she's like running to the hospital. <laughs> she doesn't live far away. She's like, oh, okay, you're already there? Okay, like, because things had been going really slow at first, and then they just really sped up. And she didn't expect me to, you know, need her there quite so soon. But I remember they were still trying to find the baby's heartbeat. And finally, someone suggested, like, look lower. And so pretty much they had to put the monitor, like, right up to my vagina. (laughs) And then they found it. Because she's about to come out. (laughs) Yeah, she was all the way there. And I really liked the nurses that we had at the hospital because my nurse, she was obviously experienced with unmedicated birth because I can hear that some of them get kind of rattled, but she was very cool and calm and she was talking to me a lot and she didn't ask me a lot of questions, (laughs) luckily, because I, I... was not in the frame of mind to be able to answer any questions. Mm -hmm. But I do remember that she had to talk me through like not pushing for a little while because my doctor was just arriving at the hospital. She's like, okay, she's almost here. Like, don't like, do you want to push? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. She goes, don't push. I was like, oh, okay. Like how, how do I even... How do I not push? Like, it's happening inside my body already. Right. Your body is just kind of making you do it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, And so that was the hardest part of the whole thing was these, like, five minutes, five to ten minutes of not pushing. I remember that. And then my doctor comes and she flies into the room, basically skids to a stop and gets gowned and gloved. (laughs) looks down and is like, okay, let's do this. (laughs) And then I pushed for, I think it was less than half an hour. And (laughs) I remember at one point, Lisa, she looks down and she goes, I can see her hair. (laughs) And apparently she like reaches in and like pets her hair. And then... Did she invite you to reach down or Brendan? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, no, mm-hmm. I don't think so. My mom and Brendan were each holding a leg. Mm-hmm. So that and, was helpful. And what was the environment like? Was Lisa or the nurses or nurse coaching you or how was that looking? Lisa, the doctor, she was coaching me. So she was telling me what to do. My mom and Brendan were just trying to support and trying to offer like pull against me this way, try to do that. Because I remember feeling like there was, there was this kind of hump that I couldn't quite get over that I kept like approaching and then slipping back from. And then Lisa was just like, okay, let's just rest, rest for a little bit. Like don't concentrate on pushing really hard for the next couple of times. Let's build up your energy. And so we did that. And that really helped because pretty much right after that, when we was like, okay, this time you're going to give a really, really big push. And I did two of those. And then, and then we got over it. And then Juniper came out and there she was. And it was, it was crazy. I remember Brendan, he looked down and he just went, there is so much blood. (laughs) And that was partly because the, the placenta didn't want to come out on its own. So after a few minutes, she tried to kind of like push down on my stomach to see if she could get it to expel on its own, but it didn't want to come out. And so she had to actually reach in and like gather it all up and pull it out. And that was really not fun. (laughs) I would think it was painful. Yeah. I mean, it was painful. It felt a lot like the contractions in terms of, it was just such an odd feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. Because when you're having the contractions, there's, there's, you know, this live thing inside of you that's kind of moving around and doing things. And then, so she had her hand <laughs> inside of me. So there was a thing moving around inside of me again. <laughs> like, and I could like feel all of that and all the muscles. And so it felt a lot like those contractions again. And it was kind of painful. It was definitely painful. Was Juniper on your chest during this? Yeah. So we had planned on asking for delayed um, cord clamping, mm-hmm. but it turned out her umbilical cord was quite short. And so they wouldn't be able to place her on my chest with the umbilical cord still intact. So what my doctor did instead was she like grabbed it and kind of like milked it. Milked it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she milked the umbilical cord for a few seconds and then she clamped it and cut it and was able to put the baby on my chest. Mm-hmm. And what were you feeling in those moments? I was exhausted. <laughs> yeah. I remember just feeling so, so tired. And like people were taking pictures and I'm just like, I don't care how I look in these pictures. Like if my eyes are open or closed or half open, like, <laughs> I've got like little bloody handprints all over me, <laughs> all over my chest. From the baby, I assume. Yeah. from the <laughs> baby. <laughs> uh-huh. And like, 
I was just so tired. That was the, the overwhelming feeling. It felt so unreal that there was this thing that was inside of me and then she was outside of me. <laughs> I don't know. I remember how I felt in the days following, starting to develop kind of my feelings for Juniper. But in the first few hours, all I could think about was how tired I was. Yeah. I was, I was proud of myself and I was proud of Juniper. <laughs> One of the things I had written down for Brendan to, to, to say to me, like during labor, was like, Juniper's working hard too. You're working really hard and she's working hard too. So like, think of it as a team effort, you know? It's because I've always really liked team sports. <laughs> so thinking of it kind of like a team sport could give me more more motivation, more drive, more energy to see everything through. Yeah. It's, are you saying that it took a while to grow into that feeling of like, this is my baby or am I misinterpreting? Hmm. Cause that's one version of normal that a lot of people don't realize you don't always feel instantly connected to your baby or maybe you do. Everybody's different. Right. It's almost hard to remember because Within a few days, I remember feeling so clearly that, like, I had just given birth to my heart. She, she's absolutely my heart. And she still is. But also... I remember like being in the hospital. I, so I stayed two nights and that's standard for uh, vaginal delivery. And one of my doctors came and visited me the next day after I gave birth. And she's like, you know, you don't have to stay the second night if you don't want to. And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. I want to stay. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> I, I need to stay. I'm like, not, I'm not ready to, to be alone, like with this baby. And even I wouldn't be alone, but my husband would be there and my mom was staying for several more weeks, but like, I'm not ready to start this relationship right now. Like, I feel like I just need to recover. And so also, and were you, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Were you in a shared room? Yes. I was in a shared room. I had a different roommate each night, but yeah, being in a shared room was fine. Honestly, you're not getting that much sleep anyways. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't really care because you still have to feed the baby like every two to three hours. I remember they left her next to So they offered me two options to either take her to the nursery or to leave her in my room next to the bed. And I was like, well, I'd like her to be here next to me. And they're like, okay, well, you have to feed her every three hours. I'm like, okay, well, are you going to come tell me when to do that? And they're like, no, you can just set an alarm or something. It's like, wait, really? Like, doesn't somebody have to supervise me? <laughs> 
And so what I did was I had my husband who was sleeping at home call me and wake me up. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll set an alarm on my phone, but I also need you to call me because otherwise, what if I don't wake up? You know. <laughs> uh, so that I get that because, you know, in an ideal world, we'd be like, well, just, you know, go according to the baby's hunger cues. But when you are so exhausted, I get the idea of wanting that minimum accountability of like, well, what if I don't notice the baby's hunger cues because I'm so zonked out, you know, right. <laughs> and it's been three hours. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was exhausted and they wouldn't even let me like stand up on my own because I was pretty shaky. And I remember like it was quite a while before I was able to pee and they kept like, do you want to try to pee? So we'd like go to the bathroom and see if anything would come out, but it wouldn't work. And then finally I was able to pee and they put in a little thing so they can measure how much urine comes out. And so you pee into that, but it's like over the toilet bowl. And I remember when I finally did pee, it overflowed. <laughs> so it's like, I guess you don't need to measure. You clearly um, needed to go. Yeah, yeah. That can take a while to resume. Right. I was like, I know I have to go, but I just can't seem to make it work. I measured like my first two or three peas, mm -hmm. um, but the, yeah, they gave me a peri bottle and I used that a lot. I remember once I got home in the first few weeks, I was like, I'm just going to pee in the shower because <laughs> that was a lot more comfortable not having <laughs> to sit down and also having the water running. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> and I had made like those padsicles and stuff. <laughs> So I remember my sister, my sister came, I think, I can't remember. Somebody came and visited me while I was still pregnant and helped me make a bunch of padsicles. So those were great. I went through those. Did you just do water or did you add herbs or anything? I think I did like witch hazel and maybe chamomile, mm -hmm. maybe a few other things too. I just like looked up on the internet what some good um, suggestions were. Mm -hmm. I like, oh, I like those. And so I did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember how long, how many days or ballpark of how long you used those? I used them probably for a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, just like every once in a while. It's not like mm -hmm. all day long. Whenever it felt especially sore, maybe? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had a couple of tears, and so I think that helped a lot. We're going to take just a quick break for a word from our sponsor. If booking live group childbirth class just doesn't work for your busy schedule, or if you're suffering Zoom burnout, there's another great option for you. The Birth Matters Complete course is an online self-paced version of my live interactive full class curriculum. It covers not only prep for an amazing birth with self-advocacy tips, best current evidence, and tips for partners, but also holistic postpartum wellness, breastfeeding, and newborn care. And to top it off, you get lifetime access so that you can use it as a refresher later in this or future pregnancies. How great is that? 
To get the benefit of a more personalized experience, you also have an option to add to the course a 30-minute virtual coaching session. This has been a really popular option during the pandemic. We're continuing to offer a large, limited-time discount for podcast listeners, as well as anyone who might be struggling financially through these times. So grab the promo code and purchase over at birthmattersnyc.com. There was still a lot of bleeding afterwards. And I had those like big mesh underwear things with the gigantic pads. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just, you know, felt like a middle schooler again on my first period. <laughs> uh, and did they send you home with the sits bath? They did. I didn't actually use it. Mm-hmm. I think it turned into a bath toy for my daughter. <laughs> I haven't heard of that. <laughs> hey, I love getting creative with things you have around the house. Right? <laughs> Why buy toys? <laughs> exactly. I think some of her favorite bath toys are anything vaguely cup-like. So you know, that she can fill with water and pour water out of again. That's a bath toy. Yeah, I didn't actually use the cis bath, mostly because I found it kind of cumbersome. And I just didn't want to deal with it. So when I felt like I would have used it is probably when I used the padsicles instead. Mm -hmm. It's easier. All you have to do is put it in and sit down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to be perpetually sitting on the toilet. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Although I find now, and I'm sure many parents of toddlers do this, I spend a little extra time in the bathroom just because I'm pretty much guaranteed to have that space to myself. <laughs> so I'll, I'll bring in my phone. I'll bring in my book. It's like, why is mommy in the bathroom for 20 minutes? Like, oh, has it been that long? <sighs> okay, I guess I'll come out now. Yeah, expectant parents, listen to that tip. You will be using that one a lot. <laughs> yes, hide in the bathroom. <laughs> Although when they're itty-bitty, I mean, even at you know, two-ish, often they do walk in on you and it's even hard to just pee in (laughs) solitude. (laughs) But maybe you have the exception to the rule. (laughs) Well, she can't quite open the doors yet with the door handles. But what she does is she comes up the door and knocks really loud and just yells, Mama! (laughs) Uh, So, you know, (laughs) it's a bit disruptive. (laughs) So how about more on breastfeeding? You were talking about initial breastfeeding in the hospital and setting a timer. Yeah. Breastfeeding was intense. I'd say the three major things that I had to deal with were, one, being pregnant, two, giving birth, and three, breastfeeding. The first one was maybe the most surprising because being pregnant was just so, I hated it. I I really hated it. Sometimes I would see women like six, seven months along jogging down the street. And I remember I was like simultaneously wanted to like give her a high five and punch her in the face. (laughs) You know, like good for you. That is so amazing that you're doing that. And then being like, oh my gosh, but why do I feel so crappy? 
being pregnant was just not fun for me. And I didn't realize how, how annoying it would be. Then giving birth was just, it was kind of like, you know, it's just a traumatic experience. It's all this stuff happening really, really close together in this short time period. And for me, especially short, plus it's painful and you're going through a huge transition. Then there was breastfeeding and that by far was the most stressful and the most emotional. And I was completely unprepared for that. I mean, I'd heard lots of people talking about breastfeeding and like, you know, sometimes it doesn't work very well, or sometimes you need to do this. Sometimes you need to do that. And I was like, okay, you know, I can be, I can be mentally ready for all this, but the first challenge I had was it was really painful. And I didn't know that because a lot of the material that you read or like videos that you watch people talking about it is like, oh, you feel like a tingling sensation when you have your letdown. And honestly, for me, my letdowns were painful. Yeah, for some Almost women it is. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> like, That's it was a- like a cramp. It felt like a muscle cramp. Mm-hmm. And I would be walking down the street, and sometimes I just have a letdown. And in the early days, you know, and I would have to, like, stop walking. Ugh. Like, oh, okay. Just had a letdown. It was very painful. So that was the first part is it was painful. Like it was painful on my nipples. And I did bring in a lactation consultant to see what we were doing at home and to give us advice maybe after the first week. And that was very helpful, mostly because she suggested the sideline position, which basically saved my mind because I was able to sleep (laughs) while breastfeeding. But she had thought like maybe Juniper was not quite tongue tied, but just like had kind of like a short palate or something. And so we were trying all these different techniques of trying to get the nipple like farther back in her mouth like, oh, it's rubbing against the rough part right now. But back there is the soft part. So we got to get it back there. But really, I think over the first two weeks, my nipples just kind of had to toughen up. Because after two weeks, it stopped being so painful on the nipples anyways. And we kind of fell on a routine. And I was like, I felt like I had enough supply to feed every baby on the block and of course, later on, I, I just want to punch myself for thinking that because once I started having to pump, because I went back to work and we wanted her to go to daycare, I felt like I was scrambling all the time to have enough milk for her. And the number of times I cried about breastfeeding was probably once a week especially after starting the pump. I remember one time my sister was visiting and I was sitting in the kitchen 
And I just started sobbing and sobbing. And she's, what's wrong? I'm like, I can't feed my baby. I don't have enough milk. And I just don't have enough time to pump. How am I supposed to pump twice for every feeding session while I'm trying to get stuff done at work? Like, I have to pump for 30 minutes every hour and a half. Like, that's not feasible. And I was just crying and crying and crying about it because, like, I looked in the freezer and saw how many milk bags were there. And I'm like, it's not enough. And she had to calm me down. And like, Kirtan, you know, if she, if Juniper were not healthy, were not growing, then, you know, we'd be having a conversation about this. But she is fine. Like, the pediatrician says she's fine. She's growing. She's doing really, really well. Like, you're doing fine. Like, you just have to get through this moment in order to, to see the bigger picture. And she was right. But it kept happening over and over again. And whoever said there's no use crying over spilt milk. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. They've never breastfed. Oh They've never pumped. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I cried over spilt milk a few times and it made me feel better. Yeah, indeed. Spilling milk or realizing that you had left some milk out and it had gone bad. Oh, heartbreaking. Terrible. Mm-hmm. And I was able to successfully breastfeed Juniper exclusively for almost seven months before she went on solids. And, and I still had all this anxiety and all this stress about it. So I keep thinking like it must be so much harder for someone who's actually having supply issues or, you know, more pain or something, you know, different kinds of problems with not being able to breastfeed because it was such this compulsion to feed my baby. And even when she went on solids, like, I think because I had breastfed and been her only source of nutrition for almost seven months, I felt personally exclusively responsible for her nutrition, even after I wasn't. And I was sharing that responsibility with my husband. If she wouldn't eat something, I would freak out. So like, oh my God, oh my God, she's not eating. I don't know what to do. Like, just start like panicking, almost having a panic attack because she wouldn't eat like two more spoonfuls of oatmeal. It, it was pretty ridiculous. And now that she's almost two, I realized that just in the last month, am I starting to get over that? When we go out to eat at a restaurant, my husband makes sure that I don't sit next to Juniper if there's an option because I get so stressed out if she won't eat something. It like ruins the whole dinner for me. And then of course it ruins it for everybody else because I'm acting like such a weirdo. But he's always been more calm about that. And <laughs> oh, it's really saved me a lot of stress. I'm very grateful. Especially in postpartum when we're breastfeeding and we have all these different hormonal changes that are happening, that parental anxiety can be really real, you know, and the things that we kind of obsess yeah. on so many of us. So I'm glad you have a supportive partner who is able to 
support and <laughs> come up with yeah. strategies to help lessen that? Definitely. He is of the disposition of, you know, tr- always trying to make things easier for me, trying to be in charge whenever he can be in charge so that I don't have to, or at least that I don't have to feel like I have to. And the best thing that he ever came up with was our sleeping plan for the first few months after Juniper was born. So it was maybe a week or two in, and we realized we're not getting, maybe a week in, and we realized we're not getting any sleep. Because you're on this weird twilight 24-hour schedule. So what we did was we lived in a a small two-bedroom apartment in Astoria, and we had Juniper sleeping in a pack-and-play next to our bed. But what we did was we took the pack-and-play and we put it in the living room. And so from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., each of us would take one six-hour shift in the bedroom sleeping. So when it was his shift, he would just be sleeping because I could take care of all of the Juniper stuff on my own in the living room. And when it was my shift to sleep, he would bring her into me when she needed to be fed. He would just kind of like tap me on the shoulder. Like, okay, like we're gonna, we're gonna feed now. And so I just kind of like pull up my bra and (laughs) latch her on there and often fall asleep while she was feeding. And then he would like, wake me up. Okay. Time to switch sides. Like roll over. So I would just roll over, feed the other side. Like, okay, we're done. And then he would take her away. So I could really get almost a solid six hours worth of sleep each day. And that was huge. Oh yeah. That's a great strategy. Yeah. And and I think you said this, but can you say again, uh, how many weeks after birth was this? This was maybe after one week. Was it before or after the lactation consultant had worked with you on learning to feed on your side? Just after. Okay. Yeah. It sounded like you were already doing that. So yeah, she came in about one week after Juniper was born. And then almost immediately is when we started like our sleeping rotation. And since it was kind of like the middle of the night when one of us would be awake, but not really want to be up and about the house doing things or try to be as quiet as possible so the other person can sleep. We just have the TV on really low and with the pack and play next to us with like a, a blanket blocking out the light from the TV. <laughs> and so she'd be in there because I mean, newborns, all they do is sleep, poop and eat. So they're just, she's in there or she's like laying on the person and the person's just sitting there on the couch watching TV. <laughs> I think I watched like all of The Crown maybe. I've got through a lot of TV shows in the first couple of months. Yeah. Do you want to share your pumping on a train story? Oh gosh, Yeah. Let's see, Juniper started going to daycare at five months. And that's when I started going to work. I worked at a wood shop in Brooklyn. 
I started going there twice a week. So Juniper was in daycare twice a week and I would go to work twice a week. And we got a pump. We got a pump through insurance and turned out I really didn't like that pump. So we ended up buying another one. Did you like the next one you got better? Yeah, I liked it better. Most of us have a, I was going to say love-hate relationship, but maybe it's hate-hate relationship with our pump. (laughs) Even if it works well. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it better, but I also just hate that it exists. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But but I I need it so much, so I, I, I don't know. Right. I would go to work, and it was like an hour-long commute for me. So it was pretty long, but honestly, I, I liked that time on the train. I got to just sit down and read and not have to be responsible for anything. So it was really nice. But I was at work, and then I'm trying to pump, and I'm, I'm working in a wood shop, and I didn't want to pump in the bathroom. So what I did was we had a, a, a lathe room that was mostly empty during the day. And I would put a sign on the door saying, pumping, go away. (laughs) Sometimes I was nicer and I'd say, pumping, please knock. But so I'd sit there in the lathe room and I would pump. And it's just like, sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And I'd have my phone, I'd be like looking at pictures of Juniper, watching videos of her, one time I was just like Googled babies crying and like just was like listening to sounds of babies trying, trying to get myself to have a letdown, like massaging my breasts, doing all sorts of things that would be really weird for somebody to walk in on if they didn't know what was going on. Uh-huh. And like sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And sometimes I'd get involved in a project or I would be helping somebody and like I, I kind of miss my window for being able to pump one last time before heading home to pick up Juniper from daycare. So one time that happened and I didn't have time to pump before I had to head out the door, but I was just desperate to like get one more pump in to see if I could get a few more ounces of milk for one more feed for her at daycare. So this was, I guess it was still pretty cold. Or maybe this was in the fall when she was a little bit older and she had already started solids, but she was still breastfeeding. I just remember that I had a jacket with me. So I sat down on the G train in one of those little double forward facing seats. And I put my bag, my big pumping backpack next to me. I just kind of as stealthily as I could, like, hooked up the pump to myself underneath my clothes, like with the tubes and everything, like bleeding into the pump in my bag. And I didn't even know that those like low profile under the shirt pumping, I don't know, cups existed at that time. So I had these like the the regular big ones with like bottles attached and I just draped my, my jacket over me, over the front, and I put my head down <laughs> and I started to pump. I just tried to put out as many signals as I could, like, do not approach me. Leave me alone. I know this is weird and you're curious what's going on, but 
just don't talk to me. And the train, at one point, it started to get kind of full. And I did feel bad that I was taking up two seats. But I'm just like, I can't. Like, there's no, you know, there's hardly room enough for my knees before the next seat. So it's not like I could put my giant bag on top of me. But I, I did. I pumped for like 20 to 30 minutes on the train. And then I, I unhooked. And I just kind of, I had like a little washcloth that I would carry with me. and kind of like wiped myself up and put everything away. And then I put my bag on my lap and put my head down. I was like, don't talk to me about what just happened. (laughs) (laughs) Parenting gives us some crazy stories that we never thought we'd have to share with people, right? That's true. And a lot of them involve poop. Yes, that is so true (laughs) as well. (laughs) Some kind of bodily fluid or or solids. (laughs) Bodily output. Oh my goodness. Thank you I know I'm not the only New York mom to pump on the train. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. And that makes sense because you had a deadline to get back to pick her up from yeah. daycare. So you really couldn't stay at work any longer. No, I couldn't stay at work and just like pump for 20 minutes and then go. And I honestly, I was probably only the third weirdest thing going on on the G train. <laughs> right. So this is New York after all. That's right. <laughs> so probably no one even noticed anything. <laughs> People were at least polite enough to pretend not to notice. <laughs> so uh-huh. you know what? If you have to do it, just do it. It was fine. Right. Totally. But I didn't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It feels a little cumbersome and maybe yeah. stressful to have to do that. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's just difficult. It's a lot of stuff to maneuver. And then I was worried, like, I'm just going to spill this all over myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be awful. I know. (laughs) Yeah. I I think actually ended up with three different pumps. The free one, which we got, it was a Medela pump, which I didn't really like. I just could never get it to work right for me. So I sent it to them to be recycled. Because they'll recycle it for you. You just like request a, a label. And then I ended up buying two Spectra pumps, which I liked better. They worked better for me. I mean, still not perfect, but nothing works as well as a baby on the boob. Mm, it's very so. true. Yeah. 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 The Spectra seems to be currently, anyway, the favorite among most moms. Yeah. I got one of the like portable, like big portable ones. And then I got one of the like really small ones, which was nice because when we started like going on trips or something like that, I didn't want to pack a huge pump. Uh, The small one, it's not as powerful though. It doesn't work quite as well, but it's, it was still worth it to, to save in poundage, like on my back carrying every day. So, I don't know. I lived by my accessories for a while. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping soon that we'll be able to get rid of the diaper bag. I have a question. If you were to do it all over again, or if you do it a second time, Mm -hmm. in terms of your breastfeeding journey and the challenges that you faced, what would you do differently, if anything? 
I think I would just try to adjust my expectations. Felt so immediate, so dire. It was like having teenager emotions again. If you remember being a teenager, it felt like every moment was life or death. Like, oh my gosh, if I don't get to go over to my friend's house right now, my social life is over. I hate my parents. Ah, this is terrible. And everything was like that. But I haven't felt that for so long until breastfeeding, until having a baby where I'm like, if I'm not able to feed her right this moment, this specific amount of milk, then like she's going to just die. (laughs) And if she doesn't eat this, you know, this Navy bean or like, (laughs) then she's not going to have all the nutrition that she needs and she's going to be malnourished. And she like, it just this crazy rabbit hole. So I think successfully going through it, just successfully just meaning like surviving. So I think successfully going through it once before and having a child who is healthy and growing, I'm hoping will remind me that not every feeding is life or death. What helped me a lot with Juniper once she went on solids was something somebody told me was to try to think of her nutrition in terms of one week. You know, what has she eaten all week? Not what is she eating today or what is she eating this meal? Because I would stress out so much about each meal or each breastfeeding that I wasn't looking at the bigger picture. And it was hard to remind myself, it was hard to believe that everything would be okay. So just trying to remind myself that it's okay if things aren't going well 100% of the time. That doesn't mean that everything's going to crap. (laughs) Sometimes, like, you're just having a bad day and that, you know, the rest of the week could be okay. The rest of the year could be okay that it's okay to have one bad day or one bad feeding, and also to remember that there are options. Even if I never considered other mothers who weren't able to breastfeed failures or anything like that, it was still really hard not to think of it in those terms for myself. Because, you know, we're always much harder on ourselves than we are on others. And... So I need to adjust my mindset and remember that nobody's going to think I'm a failure if I can't do this. It's really just myself and the pressure that I'm putting on myself because everybody around me was completely supportive. Nobody had these crazy expectations that I did for myself. So if I can get this through my head just by repeating it to myself over and over and over again, then maybe the second time it'll be easier. Who knows? Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, 
Is there anything before we wrap things up that you haven't gotten to share that you wanted to share? Or do you have any reflections or insights or tips for expectant parents who might be listening? Well, we went through my biggest tip, which was the sleeping schedule. Mm -hmm. That was absolutely key. And I was really lucky to have my husband who had 12 weeks of uh, parental leave. That's fabulous and rare, all too rare. Definitely. And he was able to also not take it all at once. So he did four weeks up front when she was born. And then he did the rest of it like part-time. So he was able to really stretch it out and to spend a lot of time at home, but also like go in and spend a few days at the office. So that was fantastic. But having that sleeping schedule meant that both of us, like he was able to sleep enough to go to work and I was able to sleep enough to not feel like a zombie all day long. That's huge. (laughs) Yeah. Where did you guys get that idea or did one of you just come up with that idea? I don't know. He came up with it. I'm not sure how he came up with it, but I think he just was like, this is not working. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. let's, let's, let's fix this. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful that he did Mm -hmm. because if you talk to any new parent, six hours of sleep, they're like, what's that? Mm -hmm. What's What's four hours of sleep? I I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then also I wish I had realized before when I was trying to plan my life with a newborn and how breastfeeding was going to go that it takes forever for them to breastfeed. (laughs) It takes like 45 minutes. And also adds a little bit of, I don't know what it was. It's not quite reflux, but the pediatrician recommended that we hold her upright for 15 minutes after each side. So that means she's on one boob for like 15 minutes. Then we have to hold her upright for 15. Then she's on the next boob. Then we have to hold her upright for 15. So the whole process took an hour. And then by the time you're done with that, you change her diaper. She sleeps for 20 minutes and then you're breastfeeding again. Mm-hmm. So I didn't just, realize how long it took. Yeah. Right. It's so challenging. So many of us feel like forget birth, like breastfeeding is the hard thing, you know, because it lasts yeah, so much longer. Now I know than- why. <laughs> yeah. mm. And for some people, I mean, they keep going for a really long time. And for me, I kept breastfeeding for 13 months. And we were, you know, by that time we were down to like one feeding a day. But one day Juniper just was like, no, I'm done. And I, that was really emotional for me. I was waiting for it. It's like, okay, you know, I'm mentally trying to prepare for doing this until she's like two or something. But she stopped just after a year. And I was like, oh man, I just, I feel like I've just been emotionally cut off. Like, okay, this is intense. I gotta, I gotta sit and think about this for a while. Cause even though it was so stressful and I really didn't like it that much when it was over, it was, 
it was kind of wrenching. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I don't miss it now. But <laughs> yeah, it can feel emotional at first when they're reading. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so God. strange. I wish I had seen because I'm a visual learner. Mm-hmm. So I wish I had seen a schedule of like what a day with a newborn looks like mm-hmm. and all there need to be is like three different colored blocks that just repeat over and over again, you <laughs> <Right>. know, <laughs> one for breastfeeding, one for changing diapers, one for sleeping. <laughs> so I think something like that maybe would have stuck in my head. So I could have gone back to that mental picture and been like, Oh, okay. This is what it's like. Mm-hmm. Right. I can remember that. The mm-hmm. largest chunk really is like feeding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is so hard and it's so weird and monotonous, but it's also, it was such a great bonding experience because we were just at home all the time. This little unit, we were just like all together all the time. And that's, that's so rare now. Mm. Yeah. My daughter, she's so happy whenever she gets to play with both mama and daddy. Mm. You can see it on her face. She's just ecstatic whenever we're both playing with her at the same time. Because it's now, usually, if one of us is playing with her, the other one's making dinner. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So there are always chores to get done. But mm. in that newborn twilight stage, it's just all this very closed, tight little circle that just repeats over and over again. Thank you so much for sharing all of this, Kirtan. It's been Thank lovely you. hearing all your reflections. One of my favorite things that you said was was saying that she is your heart. And so that was she beautiful. is. <laughs> and it's so strange because I thought, well, if I just gave birth to my heart, how am I going to ever have another one, which was always my plan. And I realized that it grew back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Happy birthday and happy becoming parent second anniversary here soon. (laughs) Thank you. Please give Brenda my best and enjoy that sunny weather in California. I'm jealous here in the winter in New York. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I do miss the winter, but it's pretty hard to complain about the Southern California weather. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you'll keep in touch. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that a great story? Her story about pumping on a subway is one of my all-time favorites. One of those only in New York kind of experiences. I just wanted to mention that Kirtan shared her story way pre-pandemic in case you thought it sounded off when she said it's rare for everyone to get to be home together for long stretches of time. Oh boy, how our world has changed, huh? 
Before we close out this episode, I want to talk briefly about a few topics that Kirtan brought up, peeing after giving birth, milking the cord, and breastfeeding challenges. Kirtan talked about how it took a while for her to be able to urinate. This is very common right after giving birth, but birth places need to see that your urination has resumed in a healthy way before they can safely send you home. A few tips for this. I recommend packing a bottle of peppermint oil and either smelling it or putting a few drops into the toilet. This can do miracles when you're having trouble relaxing your pelvic floor muscles to pass urine or a bowel movement. Also, expect urination to really sting at first if you've given birth vaginally because all of the tissue of the vulva has been stretched out to the extent that it will feel very raw. So I recommend spraying the peri bottle, which is like a handheld bidet that the hospital will give you on that area of your body before ever starting to pee and continuing spraying it as long as you're peeing. This will wash away much of the acidity as you pee so that it will make it sting way less. Also, the parabottle that most hospitals and birthing centers give is one that sprays straight up. There's one I highly recommend grabbing. It's the Freedom Mom brand and is called the Friday. It's very affordable and is much more smartly designed with an angled spout and is held upside down, making it much more convenient to hold and use, and I might add with less risk of touching the toilet water. I'll link to it in the show notes for this episode, episode 49, over at birthmattersshow.com in case you want to grab one. Kirtan also mentioned how right after birth, her doctor milked the cord, meaning trying to rush some of the cord blood into the baby's body in order to clamp sooner. This approach is a little bit controversial, though some care providers do it. I'll link to a study on this over in the show notes too. Given Kirtan's mention of how challenging she found breastfeeding to be, I wanted to point out that studies have shown that retention of prenatal breastfeeding education is not the greatest on the other side of birth. There doesn't seem to be any realistic way that classes can fully prepare us for how emotional the nursing journey can be experientially. Nevertheless, I remain steadfast in the belief that prenatal education is important to give us a starting framework and start adjusting expectations. At the same time, Kirtan's experience drives home the importance of having contact info for recommended lactation consultants if nursing is a goal for you. For those of you here in the New York City area, you can find some recommendations under the resources area over at birthmattersnyc.com. On the topic of oversupply and painful letdown, it's very common for many people to have an oversupply of milk in the first few weeks before the milk is regulated, meaning while your body is figuring out how much milk is just the right amount. This can often cause a painful letdown reflex. I'll link to a couple of articles on this from kellymom.com and La Leche League International. It's also common for us to not get nearly as much milk from an electric pump as our babies can express from us, or as much as we can hand express. This is where breast massage can come in handy, or if you're away from your baby when you're pumping, looking at baby pictures like you heard Kirtan mention. This can assist with the production of oxytocin, which is what causes the milk letdown reflex. For some great tips on hand expression and breast massage to help the milk to start flowing before pumping, please check out my friend Francie Webb's book, Go Milk Yourself. I'll link to it in the show notes for this episode, episode 49, over at birthmattersshow.com. Also in the show notes, I've linked to a hilarious and all-too-true account of a day in the life with a newborn, since Kirtan mentioned wishing she had seen a more visual lay of the land. 
This is more of a comedic timeline than a chart, but it's really good, so I wanted to share it. Okay, here's a sneak peek of what's up next week. And they let me know that my doctor was coming and that she was going to check and see how dilated I was. And when she did the check, I was fully dilated, which I had not anticipated at all. And I didn't feel afraid. Like I just felt like this is where I am. I have a thing to do. There's no way out of it. Like this baby is being born today, possibly in a few minutes. And I don't know, you just kind of like go into this zone where all of the fear that had built up in the years that I've been reading about childbirth and listening to other people's stories about childbirth, it's like, it just vanished. And yeah, I don't know. It's a really awesome feeling. And I just couldn't believe that it had been that short. I think in total, it was eight hours that I was in labor and I just felt really lucky. It was very unexpected. I wish I hadn't spent all that time fearing everything and wasted all of that energy. This week, remember this, there's a huge range of normal in the timing of bonding with baby. Thanks so, so much for tuning into the Birth Matters podcast. Have a wonderful week and be well.